Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland International and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. And we're going to be joined shortly by South Africa legend. And maybe more importantly, given what happened at the weekend, absolute scrum guru and La Rochelle scrum coach, Gertrude Steenkamp. Johnny, we went AWOL again last week, didn't we? The wounds were too raw. We were drowning our sorrows or eating our body weight in meat, like Paul Willemser does after France's quarterfinal exit. So the dust has settled. What's the feeling in France now? The feeling in France, I guess, is that it's finished for them. So not that they're completely disinterested because they still love the rugby, but top 14 is also back this weekend. It kicks off on Sunday. And I think most of the French rugby public is more excited about that. I think just generally they're a little bit disillusioned with how it finished. Okay. A little bit disillusioned, obviously disappointed. You know, it's two weeks for them out of the top level competition. I saw it was Roman Taufinua talking this week about how he's watched his game back and he just doesn't feel that he should be sitting watching other games in front of the TV. So I think for the players, they're obviously gutted. French Rugby Public devastated with how it finished it well. And I think everyone can appreciate that those games probably should have been semi-finals. They weren't where they've been quarterfinals. And it was a while ago now, so we won't dwell too much on it, but we will look slightly at the quarterfinals as well as the semi-finals and ahead to the top 14 returning and the World Cup final and the game no one gives a shit about, the third place playoff. We'll do it all. There's a lot to get through, mate. You're right. There is. We'll crack on. The, the way it ended, you mentioned, is there bitterness there or is there an appreciation that they just came up against a force in South Africa because there's been chat about the referee obviously yeah look, I think I think there's obviously certain things that went wrong from a refereeing perspective like World Rugby came out and acknowledged the five which made it even harder for Ben O'Keefe in the aftermath with all of the yeah. abuse he was getting on social media but things are missed both ways and that happens in every single test match every single club game like you can't get everything right. It's not possible. So I think you have to take that with a pinch of salt. Um, I think there's also understanding that if there was one side that could come to the Stade de France and knock over France, it was South Africa. And they played the perfect game. I took Jen and the kids up. Absolute mission. Nine o'clock kickoff. Stade de France, Saint-Denis. Um, and what an atmosphere. Like, what a day out. Absolutely superb. A memory they will never, ever forget. Um, Lockie, age seven, was inconsolable. 
at the end, sobbing mm. for 15, 20 minutes. He's properly French now. He's gone. Bless him. But it was just an amazing day, an amazing build-up. And then you had two world-class sides. It could have been a World Cup final. The same with New Zealand-Ireland. That was worthy of being a final as well. So, yeah, we can talk about the decisions, but South Africa pitched up, laser focus, really smart aspects of their game plan that we can maybe get into and pick apart. Um, and if there was a side that could do it, it was the Springbok. So, yes, a couple of decisions that didn't go their way, but South Africa were absolutely brilliant. And let's not forget, France were in that game. They could have easily won that game. Could have gone either way. Um, and they were superb. It's not like they were disappointing or had a big non-performance. So, yes, I think everyone's acknowledged a couple of things didn't go the right way with Ben O'Keefe, but incredible test match, incredible atmosphere, and an amazing day out. We were both there, by the way. I was there grafting. You were there with the kids, which I think is actually worse. Wait, what was their bedtime? I was going to say, who's grafting more? Are you working <laughs> in a nice truck somewhere or me with three small monkey children scrabbling all around and chucking popcorn at Irish fans around us in the stadium. And probably taking hours to get away from the ground afterwards. What, what time did they get to bed? Um, so we left three minutes before the end. We are like, let's get ahead. And we got the, the RER. So we got the train back out to, we were staying at Charles de Gaulle Airport. I told you about my shocker last week, didn't I? With my bookings and stuff. Yes. So it was an expensive day already. And then I think the kids ended up getting to bed about half 12, one o'clock. So they actually... Fair play to them. They handled it very well. Didn't crack. Finn for the last 10 minutes of the game was on Peppa Pig or something. Um, <laughs> as, as South Africa were tilting at one end to score, which is quite funny. But no, they, they handled it well. You mentioned the quality of both those games in Paris. Obviously, yep. as kind of back-to-back games, I think we can all agree you're never likely to see the like again. Maybe we no. will, but I haven't seen the like of it. But as a one-off game, that France-South Africa quarterfinal, where does that rank in terms of games that you've witnessed oh it was class mate it, and, and that's where it's so special to take the kids because not every kid gets to go to the Stade de France like you arrive at the place it's absolutely massive there's a light show the noise the fans the rapture they really do build it and then the game was of the highest level and France got loads right like they exploited South Africa at the mall they pressurized them physically they scored some excellent tries um, with some heads up stuff as well. They they played well enough to win that game. Um, what I love, and I always we go back to this, I love the sort of the chess element, like the physicality and all that bit is one and breaking tackles. And but I love the thought out piece. And I just thought that Razi Erasmus, who for me has been the standout coach of the tournament, potentially Ian Foster as well, the way he's grown through the competition. Um, but Razi with you know identifying that you have to get into a kick battle with France. We've talked about it. You have to go to the air. You have to create 50-50s. There's no point running back into their traffic with a long kicking game. Who else has thought to take a long kick in a 22 and call for a mark and scrummage? Who would do that? Absolutely no one. But he has taken the time to figure out, well, actually, if we run back, we're walking into their blitz defense. We get turned over. That's what they're waiting for. Let's ask them to scrum. Let's scrum them in our 22 and then back ourselves and win a penalty. And I just like those kind of moments in the game, you're like, okay, that's game-changing and the game has to evolve. And that's where, for Fabian Galti and his coaching staff, you get out-thought with things like this in a one-off game and, and you can't adapt during the game. So you have to then, well, how do we adapt our game plan? What level do we have to kick on or what do we have to change next week or next month with our playing group so that doesn't happen again? Or now that that's been figured out, will other teams figure that out? Therefore, do we have to adjust our tactics? So that type of stuff was really, really clever. And as I said, France got bits right, but South Africa... I mean, two up and unders, and they score from nothing. Um, 
So again, a lot of people have moaned in the debrief about the French performance, but I actually thought for the, the most part of it, they held on to ball really well. They punished South Africa with their opportunities. They scored tries. They played some fantastic stuff. The one poor conceded effort was Matthew Jalibert going high on Evan Etzebeth and looking like a school kid, which just wouldn't have happened if it was Intermac. That was one point of difference, one try that was just soft. And if you're Sean Edwards, you're going to be pulling your hair out. He doesn't have any. And then obviously the big other talking point was Chaz and Colby in that charge down, which ultimately can win a game in itself because it's a difference of one point. So, mate, there was so many different bits of the game that were just exceptional, but the drama just meant that the entire crowd, and I'm sure it was the same for everyone back home, but everyone's just whipped into the frenzy. It was absolutely class. And more broadly, because there's been a bit of distance since the game, on France as a whole, yeah, of course, there can be criticisms of this element, that element. Generally, it was a top quality game. They showed up. South Africa beat them fine. Yeah. When you look at the number of caps and the age, as we kind of have done in the build-ups of the tournament, they are very inexperienced compared to South Africa, New Zealand, England, even in the semi-final. There, there are a lot less caps and they are younger. So in yeah. four years' time, they should be better, surely. I know it's not going to be a home World Cup. You'll never get that chance again or not for a while. But they should be better, right? Yeah, they will be. And I think they've shown enough with the coaching. The coaching group is going to change as well, and that will evolve. Mm. But I think they've shown enough that they are in with the top four nations in the world. You know, they've beaten the All Blacks, who are into the final. They've missed out by one point against the Springboks, but they're going to be there or thereabouts. They've got the firepower, the physicality, and the thought behind their game. There's a couple of areas that I'm a little bit worried about. The one glaring one is the retirement of Winnie Antonio. Yeah. So... I think we all saw when he, and this is the difference maybe in the depth other squads have. You've got, you got to remember as well, like, Wien Antonio has come over as, you know, a Kiwi project player and, and has qualified. But before him, you're like, who is the last real dominant French tight end? You have to go back to like Nicolas Mass. And so my one fear is when he's removed, Aldegheri comes on, he's very, very good in top 14, but is he dominant international rugby there's question marks is it Falatea Mohamed Hwas is no longer there so that's the one position I'm worried about you think big Roman Taufinua is going to retire you've got Manny Miafu who's going to come straight in in November he qualifies in November he'll be playing Six Nations time but tight head prop is the one area and that's going to be the big for the FFR and for the clubs in the top 14 what can we develop in four years I don't know if you heard this Johnny someone in the French media talking about because of a similarity in stature, I think there's differences, but it was, there was talk that they might try and convert Pasolo to Alangi into a tired prop. Oof. Tricky. Yeah, very tricky. Tired prop's so technical. You can't just be like, that guy is physically phenomenal, so let's shove him in. And, and also, do you know what? I mean, how do you do that with a boy that's 19 in the top 14? We want you to be a starting tight head prop for France in four years' time. Go and cut your... Like, they don't have time for it. Too late. And he's good where he is. Why would... Uh... He, he's tremendous. That's the thing. So you've got like a, a depth chart now that's looking healthy at five, even with Taufinua leaving. But the one area for me that I... I'm a little bit concerned is tighthead. But you look at... I mean, somebody might crop up from under-20s in the next two cycles and then you, you've got your answer, but there's still not going to be a 40, 50, 60 cap gnarly vet coming into a World mm. Cup, which I think you kind of need if you want to challenge at World Cup. Um, but you look at what the top four teams doing, less people like me less middle-of-the-road foreigners, more young kids. Gif. Look at Louis Biai-Barry coming in from absolutely nowhere and ripping up during the competition. And then also the sort of the demographic of the squad. You mentioned the ageing 
but is it really aging? You guys that probably are going to be at the absolute top. You got Olive on at the minute, it's 30, Dante's 31, by 30, Luku about the same. Fiku's only 29 still. So those yeah. guys will all be 30, 34. So maybe physically on the dip, but mentally in terms of experience and caps, probably as, as good as you're going to get. So I don't know, you, you got that blend. And then the next question, I guess, is the coaching dynamic. Well, how does that change? So you've got people that have already left. You've got Laurent Semperé from Stade Francais, and you've got Patrick Arletas from Perpignan. They've both signed five-year contracts already, like big deals. But, you know, Karim Gazal, Laurent Labitte, the job those guys have done in the background, specialists and being absolutely exceptional. Can this new crop come in and be as good? That That is going to be the question. In those domains, is the back line going to be as good? Fabian normally is a hand there. Is the forward pack going to be line-out time as organised? Gazal's been superb. So yeah, there's all these different little bits that France are going to have to find themselves, but they've got time. Yeah, plenty of time to analyse the future of the France coaching setup and tie props in the future. We'll come to the World Cup, the semi-finals, the final, and we'll look at the top 14. And maybe even the new Nations Championship global calendar shortly, Johnny. But we should get your meter moment of the week, maybe the past couple of weeks. Didn't really know where to go with this. I'm not going to lie. Um, in that France, there wasn't too much happening. So I've gone international. I've gone for Will Jordan, mate. Um, hat yeah. trick against Argentina. He probably should have had his ninth if Richie Mawanga had given him a desperate two-on-one. He's already level now with... Brian Habana, Jonah Lomu, Julian Savia. He's made eight in the Rugby World Cup by himself, eight tries. He's got a shot at breaking eight and becoming the only man to get nine in the final next week against South Africa. So his hat-trick in the semi and the fact that he's joined that sort of legion of legends and having eight tries in one comp, Will Jordan, the Ferrari from the All Blacks. There we go. He might get it again next week as well. He might. I think it may be cool. The thing is, it's weird. It would be cool, but I also don't want weirdly I don't want somebody to break Jonah's record yeah not so fast about Habana or Sevilla but <laughs> I'm like it's Joe like going want nudging Jonah is, is a big big call so it'd be very cool if he does it but it'd be a little bit sad not gonna lie Jonah's still got 15 overall in all World Cups which he won't break that yet but he might do in four years time might do there we go that was Johnny's meter moment of the week and meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer recently making over 20 million cooks better their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can get 10% off any full-price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD10, and you'll get 10% off any full-price item at meter.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts, der forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. For scrum coach G, this must have been like rugby porn. This is what you wait all year for. It's for moments like this, like scrums, the center of the universe, game-changing moments. Like, I'm give us love. your take. You're in love again. <laughs> like, love. Give us your take. A on the performance of the bomb squad that came on, but that one in particular, the last scrum. Like, give us your take on the detail and what you saw, what happened, and the explanation. You know, the, for me, that was massive because things could have gone differently, right? South Africa had been rewarded quite a few times with a few penalties. So often we see sometimes it changed around just to balance things out with the teams and just to have the corners to go for it, you know, and just backing them. So that's massive cotton, but it heads off to, you know, to Bongi, you know, he's been playing 80 minutes, you know, you know, the last few games to still have that energy to go forward. But that always comes down to a mindset. When you have a team who's dominant and is confident to have that ability on your, because that's where you're stressing, all right? That's like a, where anything can go wrong, but having that ability to go forward. But it's not just where everybody's saying, oxen chair, oxen chair, great. He did his job, unbelievable hats off to him. But it's the collective buying, the collective effort. You can see that clear reaction collectively. And we saw... Jamie George popping up. So, yeah, definitely as, as a scrum coach, I was loving it like you said, like watching porn. And uh, I had my popcorn out. I was enjoying my brandy and coat, topped it up. 
up a little bit extra after that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable scrum performance uh, by South Africa. I thought that uh, England was doing well in the beginning, but we saw in the in the second half, especially having that bomb squad coming on. I mean, that it's just unbelievable. You know, the, I think a lot of coaches are reviewing the style of selection at the moment and team selection because we do actually see now South Africans proven in the second half to finish with a stronger team. Um, you know, it really pays off and it's going to be interesting to see how Rassi goes uh, this week with his selection. Johnny mentioned the last scrum in particular. There's been so much talk about it in the last few days. Yeah. I guess Ellis Genge slips a bit, gets back up. There's the angle, there's who initiates. Uh, and you mentioned Oxen Chase getting all the plaudits. Vincent Cock essentially won that that last scrum, right? So give us a kind of breakdown. Does it matter that he slips and gets back in? Is he going at the wrong angle? Was it the right call? Yeah, I, I do agree with the ref 100% because uh, the letter of the law is if your knee's on the ground, you get penalised. We've had it in top 14. You know, you could dominate the hit. Uh, maybe the opposition, the release, the pressure level, your knee goes gone, you get penalised. So if we follow the letter of the law 100%, I agree with the, that decision. Uh, you know, afterwards, I don't think it really gave so much an unfair advantage um, to Genge. He was slightly on the angle, but also yet Koch also going in. So you can have that debate. You know, if there was no knee on the ground, that would have been a tough one to call. I think they, I would have gone for Genge and said, okay, he's got that one. He got the upper hand. But going back to the call of the referee, it was spot on. And I always, you know, being a coach and speaking to a lot of referees at the moment, you know, trying to understand and get greater, you know, um, indicators or cues you know it, it's tough on them they have so many things looking at it and at that one moment we are passionate about the scrum we pick it up like this but for them they have to think about everything so it's not an easy job the only thing in that situation that i thought could have helped england was that it was potentially a slip so we've seen scrums like that being called for resets in the past but i think what it goes back to is the bomb squad that came on and the pressure so the pressure in the last 20 minutes that England were under, they buckled, they were getting shoved off ball. Uh, South Africa, a couple of big scrum penalties. But you know those images that you want to show referees? Yeah. And the positive images, South Africa had shown enough that he didn't need to reset that scrum. England yeah. under pressure, then he was on the deck and it was a straight penalty. But that was the only query that I could have had. But you've seen a lot of people on social media saying, oh, we need to depower the scrum and there's too much advantage at mall time. I'm like, no. These are the best bits because when the rest of the spectacle is gone, it's these almost gladiatorial old school bits yeah. of rugby that we love. And it was really cool to see that be the reason that a nation go through another nation get leave behind because one had better and stronger depth on their bench and the other bench was slightly weaker. And that was the test match. There wasn't much in it at all. Is all the chat about deep power in this scrum and, and changing it nonsense? Or is there anything you change? Go watch League. <laughs> I mean, at the end of it, like you're saying, like it's like it's part of our DNA, you know, in rugby, having the, you know, we got those guys in the front line going to war. You know, I always uh, refer to the forwards playing rugby. For me, it's almost like a Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. So, um, you know, you're waiting for the balls, you're waiting for the scrubs to come. You know, there are going to be more scrubs. You know, I do believe um, we need to focus more on player security. I'll definitely be honest with you. There are players all over the world uh, in different championships that are voluntary cheating, taking scrums down, collapsing scrums, boring. That needs to be sorted out. 
because if players are not going to play their role or um, actually respect the laws, we will see that World Rugby will start to find ways to bring the scrum, depower the scrum. And I can understand it because now we're seeing more than often as a scrum coach, I'm very frustrated because now all of a sudden you need to anticipate what will the opposition be doing cheating-wise. So how do you counter the opposition cheating? I'm old school. And myself and Owen Franks, we have a lot of this discussion. Back in the day, it was just, if you want that battle, cheers, mate, you buy him a beer after the game, you drink on it, <clears throat> good to go. But now we see so much, I call it treachery, going on. Guys taking down, guys boring in on the angles, guys dropping the props, you know, all those type of things. Guys walking around. So I do believe that scrum coaches and players need to make an effort to clean up the scrum because we are putting so much time and energy into protocols regarding concussion, player safety, the neck injuries. I mean, at some stage, players also need to step up. And you know you know what? <laughs> if I get smashed, I get smashed. So I need to find a new solution instead of just dropping the guy down because guys are going to get injured. So on that point, do we need a referee who's a scrum expert or a separate referee to referee the scrums who's a scrum expert? And if so, are you available? I, I do believe there needs to be a scrum referee, no, but, but it's tough because the, you, you can go even further and you need someone to ref the malls, you need someone to ref the breakdown, you know. I, I do believe they need more tools and they're open to it. You know, we Often you get um, specialists coming in that is only portraying the scrum the way they see it to benefit their team. They're not giving objective opinions and objective cues to referees. Like, this is what you need to know. When do you know when the loose head's hinging? When do you know the tight head is voluntarily taking the guy down? All those clear, like in French, we say observable, you know, having those clear observables, like this is what you need to look for. We need someone that is capable of coming in and saying like, this is what you want. I mean, when I work with referees in France, I will say, you were spot on there. All right. And I'll ask him, what are you seeing? This is what I see. What do you think? It's a conversation. I know sometimes a lot of coaches just go at referees. I mean, I always say at the end of the day, they're human beings. Very little referees played in front row. So it comes down to scrum education. And, and I think it needs to be a collective um, project, if I can put it that way, that coaches, players, referees are all working together. I mean, we want the battle in the scrum. We want guys to go hard, but we need to... To, to, to prioritize player safety and also that it's a fair contest. Actually, let us scrum because we've seen that a lot of players were playing around with what's happening. I always use the example. We saw South Africa Island. South Africa got blown up, free kick against them for going too hard on the engage. Scrum on South Africa's try line. We could say South Africa went too hard or did Ireland release the pressure? That is an excellent debate to have. So there you can go, are the guys manipulating what the referee is asking? So did you, there's a question for you. So I, I remember, play, like obviously I was an eighth man, so it's very different. I'm at the back. But I could tell if an opposition had a soft scrum. And by a soft yeah. scrum, Tim, that would be like the opposition's like, right, we just won't take the hit. We'll get smashed off the ball. And then they'll get pinged for going earlier or going too hard. Like I never played in a team mm. that called soft scrums but it was clear as day that other teams it was just like it was a way of playing with the rules flirting with it if you're not cheating you're not trying right yeah. that would be the mantra of some teams so that was but like had you ever played with teams that that use soft scrums had you like through your career were you ever asked to by coaching staff i never was so like it's interesting never. to see how these things evolve and then how do you counter it because 
you're essentially conning a referee. And even if you're a scrum coach, it then might be quite hard to actually deliberately or say that side is deliberately calling a soft scrum and not accepting the hit, or they've just not got their timing right. Like it's one of those bits that's so hard to judge. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be a scrum referee, mate. I, I, I wouldn't take it, but that's it. I don't envy them because as somebody that played in the pack, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what happened. And after every scrum, whenever anything went down, like my props are always telling me it's the opposition fault. It was never our boys' fault in every team I played with. So like, it's impossible. Yeah, it comes down to core values. Uh, I think uh, as a human being and as a coach, you know, um, okay, you want to win at all costs or you sometimes it comes down to ego, but I do believe in educate. Okay, like sometimes you don't have the players that can be dominant in the scrum, but you got to find a solution. And uh, cheating for me, that's not the way. And I, we've seen it, you know, we've even seen it in Champions Cup. In the past, Champions Cup was very clean, you know, proper. Like last year, I was shocked. Guys refusing the hit, guys... Um, letting go of the pressure deliberately to get the free kick or get the penalty. I mean, come on. If you don't want to play, they don't play. They go play somewhere else. You know, that that's the main philosophy. I'm passionate about the scrum. I would like to see that the scrum remains part of this game, which we all love. We're all passionate about. And that's where I believe there needs to be a collective buying from all parties. Like, okay, what can we do? What are the tools? All right. And But it comes down to as well, to the coaching of the scrum, and it also comes down to the player's attitude. You mentioned that referees are human beings. We've talked about potentially having a, a scrum expert referee. Obviously, the previous scrums in the game have to play a role. You can't just judge that final scrum on its own merits. Yeah. Unfortunately, as much as maybe you, you should, but you know, England uh, actually won one scrum penalty and didn't concede any in the first hour. I think the last 20 minutes, they conceded four scrum penalties. It's bound to be in the referee's mind. It just has to be but does that show when you talk about the impact of the bench obviously it shows the tactics but does it also show why for example Steve Borthwick brought back a guy like Dan Cole who to an untrained eye someone would say what's he doing like isn't he too old isn't he this isn't he that but for someone like you you're like this guy is gold and you have to be producing it Johnny spoke earlier on about the French production line for tight heads perhaps it's Mm. it's not there and does it also show why they earn so much money? <laughs> <laughs> I always used to, I do believe uh, Lucid have a higher value than Titan, but uh, that's another debate. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, hats off to Bortwick for choosing Dan Cole because he really anchored the England scrum. I think uh, he was really outstanding during the World Cup. And, and you could see that difference um, in the second half with the changes, you know, with a lot of respect uh, to Genji. Uh, and Sinclair's the players, which I really enjoy. I think they bring a lot to the game. But the, we could definitely see there was a huge shift in the second half in terms of you could see there was a clear power dominance by South Africa. And I think that stuck in the mind of the referees, you know. Why would the team be angling in if they're dominating? And I always, like, I always tell players and coaches about the images you present to a referee. What are the images you're presenting? You need to present good images. You show that you're dominant. Then those 50-50 decisions could potentially go in your favor. But uh, I think it's a tough one. You know, if we start saying we need to get the referees in to ref the scrum, we can go around the mall, we can go on the ruck, and then we're just going into an NFL mode. I think at the end of the day, we also need to accept, like I said earlier, referees are human beings. They're going to make errors. They're doing their part. Uh, without them, we can't play the game that we love. And and it's easy to criticize. I always say, try to put yourself in their position. I remember sometimes with the youngsters last year, 
I would referee some of our contact sessions and they would lose it because I was getting the calls wrong. <laughs> and I just say, hey, I'm the referee. You need to listen to me. I'm never wrong. Mate, I wanted to pick up further on the, on the guys that you mentioned. So like Tim mentioned Dan Cole, uh, Joe Marler as well. That was his third start yeah. since 2020, I believe. I don't think I've got that wrong. Um, and it was Eddie Jones that came out and said his biggest selection regret ever was not picking him for the 2019 final and Eddie Jones doesn't normally admit he's wrong about anything so given the way the game was going that you had your strongest two on you had Joe Marler you had Dan Cole things were solid if you were Borthwick would you have switched them out you know because there wasn't too much running there wasn't wasn't much energy in that game I kind of thought these guys could probably stick and I know South Africa played their hand and they brought on Ox and they brought on Vincent but if you know there's a power differential and the game hasn't been too taxing would you have taken in Borthwick's place your two top scrummagers out or would you have just left them on? That's a tough call. There's a lot of um, you know, variables. You know, there's sometimes on a telly we don't even see, we don't see everything. We don't see the efforts uh, off the ball. Were these guys stuffed? Were they walking? If you look at the intensity of the game, I don't think that they would have been stuffed at that stage. I think there would have been finals, a lot of kicking. But then again, remember in the kicking game. You got the props running shuttles in between. Shuttles. So that's that that's quite intense. I used to hate it. That used to be our Tuesday training, just working on those shuttles. So I think that's a tough one. You know, if they were still physically fine, I would have left them on. I would push them till then 70, 75. You know, the, you know, we, we have a lot of chat. We have this tendency to take props off after 45, 50. But some props are capable of playing 75, 80 minutes. And I think, yes. That's not something you can sustain for a whole season. But I do believe when the occasion um, needs that, the prop, your top prop needs to stay on the field as long as possible, you can do it. So that's, a, I think, a big mind shift, I think, that needs to be looked at. But, uh, you know, potentially um, looking at what we saw Genge come on, he brought something different. He brought a bit of energy to the team. They started carrying, started attacking a bit more. So it's a tough one, you know. If it wasn't those scrum penalties, we wouldn't be having this discussion. But, you know, with South Africa going forward, you also need to take a lot of things into consideration. If your guys are completely blown out, you need to think about the defense. You need to think about the distribution, guys walking around the park, getting around the park, and, and still still being present in the, the collective systems. So it's not just the scrum, because a guy can be present for the scrum, but he might stuff up somewhere else, and you know, it could end up in a try. So... That's a tough one to call. You need to take all that into consideration. Myself as a scrum coach, you know, I would look at the scrum. What do I need? But then we would also relay the information to the other coaches. Okay, how's the guy's work ethic at the moment? Has he draw? Is he walking? Is he stuck? All right, was he? He missed that tackle because he wasn't in position. So it's not the easy one. We don't have all the information, uh, you know, just by watching it on the telly. So much detail on the scrums on a base level is Oxen Che. The best scrummager in the world, and should he have been playing match? <laughs> ah, it's a tough one. There's so many great scrummagers. You know, um, a guy like uh, Reda Wardy at La Rochelle. You know, he has dominated in Europe the last two seasons. You know, obviously Oxenche is strong. I believe he's finding form. He's built confidence over the last two seasons. But is he the best in the world at the moment? Probably yes. Okay, but. That's how can I say that's that's easy to do <laughs> to stay there. That's going to be the tough part. Now everybody's going to gun for you. Everybody's going to come for you. I remember there was a stage in my career I got stuffed up, and then I fought back. 
2010, I was dominant. And you know, when I came to France, guys were gunning for you. 2012, we killed the Toulon Strum. 2013, everybody was ready. So that's going to be the challenge. It's like any player, if you look at um, Cheslin Colby, for example, when he came onto the scene in France, he was just hitting gaps going everywhere. All of a sudden, players started to defend better against him. So that's going to be, we're going to really see what Ox is made of. And I do believe he has the ability to do that. You see it in terms of his bolt, his profile. You know, he's not too tall. And we often see Lucids are slightly taller. They tend to be easier manipulated by the opposition. So that's a, that's one thing that I, as a scrum coach, which I saw, he resisted well because uh, there was some treachery going on and he resisted very well. And what did you make of the general calls by the South African coaching staff? Like I've never seen... Rassi or the team have to make those decisions so quickly, you know, Libok coming off at 35 minutes, Eben coming off at 45, like big, big decisions. So do you think, for instance, that's going to make a big difference in the calls they take who starts this week in the final? Do you think they'll stick with who they went with in the semi? Like, where do you think their heads are? You know, um, I've recently read Rassi's book and it was great to get his insight the way he coaches. He gets everybody on board. He doesn't have one-on-ones. He speaks openly in front of his team. And, you know, we, we saw in the past they used to have these alignment camps. So everybody knows what their role is and what their purpose is in the team. And they know that no one's bigger than the team. No one's bigger than their jersey. Their jersey represents something so much bigger. A lot of people ask, like, you know, we always hear this little jokes, oh, what are you South Africans eating? Take? It's just, it's in our blood. It's in our DNA. We know we represent something bigger, especially for the people. There are people that are experiencing poverty and they behind the spring box, you know, in the Shabins, in the townships, everybody's backing. It's like just getting goosebumps talking about that. You have people that have nothing and they're backing the box. That's, that's what drives the guys. So coming back to your question, what are I seeing? It's, it's a tough one because the bomb squad works. We have seen the shift in the quarterfinal when Faf de Clare came on, when Pollard came on. It gave reassurance. Having experienced guys like Billy LaRue coming on as well, it just calmed everyone down. So the question here, it's a recipe that has worked. Should you change it? All right? That's the thing. We don't know what conditions it's going to be. Um, Lippock, for example, he gives you the opportunity to have a bit the play out wide to get the game going, having a bit more flowing game, not just the kicking game, alternating to it. But if you see that's not working, you can bring Pollard on as well. And you can go to the classic style of Springbok rugby. When executed well, they're very tough to stop. So from a coaching point of view, in my opinion, I wouldn't change, all right? Because Lebok has this opportunity to do something brilliant. And we know that the bomb squad has their value. So that's that's a really tough call. But knowing Rassi and Jacques, they've done their homework. They know exactly what they are doing. So it's going to be interesting to see what the selection is going to look like. I don't know if you've both seen the above camera angle from the end of the game, the South Africa-England semi-final. If Willie LaRue had celebrated like that in front of either of you, what would you have done? Um, I just think it's not required. The thing is, this is the, this is the again, we'll talk about forwards and backs and the different ways people react to different things. But if he had behaved like that in the 1980s, he would have been attacked by a pack of, pack of forwards and he would have been split open and he'd never do it again. Like I feel like mm. a bit that I don't enjoy at the minute in rugby is 
everyone jumping in, everyone celebrating each other's faces. It's unsportsmanlike yeah. conduct, right? You'd get flagged for if it was NFL, you'd be flagged for it. But for some reason, in our game it's crept in. It's nowhere near as bad as football, like soccer. Don't get me wrong, but it's just a little bit. It's a bit narky, negative attitude. We don't really need it, and especially in a game of that magnitude. Like you've just won your place in a World Cup final for your country and all the positive things that G's just spoken about. So mm. it'd be nice if there was a bit more grace, I would say. Um, but he deserves a slap. Like you never condone violence. But if somebody like that is behaving, that's the beautiful thing about our sport, obviously not in the public domain. But if that's in a coaching set, like in a club setting or somebody behaves like that, it gets sorted internally fairly quickly. But it's almost because you know that you're at a World Cup, there's lots of TV cameras that you can behave in a way that you shouldn't behave. So hopefully he knows with the way the English players reacted, who must have been absolutely devastated in itself at that moment because they just lost the semi-final, right? Yeah. But to have one of the best players in the world carry on like a petulant child in your face isn't nice. And it isn't, I don't think, in line with our sport and the way we think and our values and the respect sort of base level bits we have in our game. So that was my take on it. I didn't see the celebration, so I can't really comment on that. Uh, but, you know, I'm a firm believer. I think we share the same uh, uh, values, uh, Johnny, even though you're Scottish. But um, so, <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> they don't have any reason to celebrate, so don't worry. Um, you know, I live by the same humble in victory, gracious in defeat. But knowing England, South Africa, they there's a lot of tension there when those two countries play. You know, um, I remember years ago, um, 2007, Andre Fenter gave this massive speech to us and he got the boys riled up. They did this to our great-great-grandfather and great-great-grandmother and this and stuff. So, you know, obviously we don't know what happened. Uh, there's sometimes chirping going on, comments flying. We don't know the context. So I can't comment um, on, on that case, but I am a firm believer that we all want to be great. We all want to achieve great things. And we've, most of us, we've been there in those games where you lose and you know how it feels. So, I mean, take for example, I could have been, uh, like we say, peacocking here in uh, La Rochelle, but, you know, I genuinely felt for the French players when they lost. I was really, my heart was broken for them because I know what they invested into it. Me living in France for now 12 years. I felt, and being a South African, but also as a coach in France, I'm invested into French rugby. I want to see them achieve great things. I was stuck. Jack, now I crossed him. I didn't give him grief. I just said, mate, sorry, man. You guys played really well. But that's just me. Looked like there might have been a bit of previous there from his days in the Premiership. He certainly looked like he was singling out one or two, but we can't comment. <laughs> we don't know the details. And another incident, which we obviously have to mention, but we can't really comment on at all, is the Tom Curry... Bongi Manambi incident, which is wild on social media at the moment, yeah. with on the one side people giving excuses, obviously saying what he could have said in Afrikaans, on the other side rushing to condemn him. We can't comment. There's an investigation underway. Mm. It will find what it finds. But the only thing we can say is, yes, there's TV cameras everywhere. There's microphones everywhere. But still, off the ball, one-on-one, -on -one, the ball's somewhere else. It's going to be hard to prove or disprove anything, isn't it? You and like I always say, like today, there's so much going on. I won't say who exactly, but I remember in one specific test match, I actually had one of my locks tell me, open up, and I just saw the fist coming through. You can't do that anymore, all those type of things. And, and players need to understand that. I mean, we look at the penalty. I think it was uh, of the, with Barrett from uh, the All Blacks. He was on the ground, and he just tapped the ball a bit. What were the chances of nobody seeing that? Mm. So, 
you know, those small type of things. So players need to be mindful. But at the end of the day, you're getting to play a sport that you love. Uh, it's a privilege. It's not your right. You can be the best player in the world. You get to partake in a sport, which is unbelievable. And we need to protect the, the soul of the game, if I can put it that way, because uh, otherwise it's just going to become like any other sport. You know, we need to, uh, we just spoke about with the, with the TKB today, you know, we were having an interview about the All Blacks and like people also, have you guys been chirping each other so far? It's like, no. <laughs> you know, uh, we have a game to focus on, but we have that common respect for each other that we don't need to, to chirp each other or rub it in each other's nose. If the ABs win, I will shake his hand and say, well done. I won't be coming up with loads of this. Ah, oh, but you didn't deserve it. And you'll do the same. You know, it's both teams have won three World Cups already. But that's the mutual respect and that's something we need to, tame, need to maintain in the game of rugby. So, mate, you won't be chirping each other, but you must have looked forward to the game with Kerr Barlow. Take it, <laughs> you said TKB, for everyone that's... Tawara Kurbarlo, for everyone that doesn't know who yeah. TKB is, but you must have thought and spoken between yourselves about where you think this game is going to be won and lost. So what do you think? Two teams that know each other historically probably better than any other two rugby sides on the planet, one of the biggest rivalries that we've got, two heavyweights, where is this game going to be won and lost at the World Cup final? Honestly, we haven't really spoken about it because uh, we have a game on Sunday. Uh, French top 14 is starting again. Honestly, our focus, even myself as a coach, my focus is 100. I've actually forgotten that the All Blacks in South Africa's playing in the final. That's sometimes a pity, you know, but where's going to be when I lost? I think it's going to be tough. Um, I, I think especially up front. We have seen the All Blacks, when they are dominated physically, all right, they struggle to get their structures in their place. They look a bit lost, but they have changed. We have seen a massive evolution during this World Cup. French game, poor discipline, struggled a bit in the scrums. They fixed that. Great discipline. I think they only had seven penalties uh, in the semi-final. And they're playing with confidence. We have seen players like Sam Kane step up, being criticized before the World Cup. Probably have one of his best games against Ireland. Obviously, it's going to be up front. We've seen the... All Blacks are dominant against Argentina. South Africa was dominant against. So it's going to be about those inches, which teams are going. But I do the, believe the line-out battle is going to be very important because South Africa was under pressure in the line-outs. They all got defended really well. It's going to be very interesting to see. But, but it's going to come down for me. South Africa, if they manage to implement the defensive systems, they both did it very well before the World Cup. Great. But the All Blacks, for me, if you stop their X-Factors, then you should be able to win the game. But guys like Richie Wanga, Artie Severe, like that guy is just like, he reminds me of Sonic the Hedgehog. He just keeps on going. just doesn't stop bouncing off guys. And Will Jordan, I don't know if someone is sitting with a PlayStation control, positioning him at the right place at the right time. He's always there. He's always scoring. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, for me, the big thing is it's going to come down to um, the set pieces. Obviously, I know that's a cliche answer, but really it's going to come down to that. But most importantly, rack speed, getting that ball back. And uh, we've seen South Africa with the aerial battle against uh, England. They were not as dominant, which we were accustomed to. So that's going to be interesting to see which, uh, which strategy the All Blacks apply. Absolutely, Johnny. I mean, there were other bits there, but the fucking scrum. It's going to come down to the scrum. Right. Ox and Jay, Vincent Cox. It's going to come down to the scrum. 
Well, that's it. Like, even you think so that the way the games have been picked off, so it's it's the Groot and Lomax yeah. who basically took the Irish scrum to the cleaners and punished Porter, which I hadn't really seen before. Mm. Then they took about took apart the Puma scrum, which traditionally doesn't happen. And it's just not something with the ABs. Like you always think about their type five. They've got great physicality, great set piece work, but they really have picked apart the last two opposition at the coal phase. Like, how do you see that confrontational battle going? Obviously, we talked about the bomb squad, the strength on the depth, but even just the starters. If you take the Groot and Lomax up against the South African starters, who do you think would win that area of confrontation? It's going to be a tough one. And with the starters, I think it's going to be even better. Like I always tell people from being a scrum coach, if the All Blacks is to dominate or South Africa is to dominate, it means one team, someone let go. Someone lost the individual battle. or so one guy was slight. It's going to come down to these small little centimeters, letting go of the pressure too early or a flanker not pushing. Some small details like that. It's going to come down to that. It's going to be even better. But I do think, uh, or I do believe where I feel the All Blacks will be slightly vulnerable in the second half. You know, when Lomax is off, when Dukhrut is off, you know, having that same effect in the scrum. You know, it, it, it comes it comes down to exactly that. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing to see what happens in the second half. But we have seen with the All Blacks, you know, with the way they play, the quality players they have. And this is something that touches so many things. If you look at the play around the rack, you know, the pick and goes, we see Italia coming around, we've got the wingers mm. coming in, they're getting constant go forward. And also what I picked up as well with the ABs, you know, having that ability, those soft skills, running hard, but that slight little tip, that extra pass, and you've got the players just launching in. That's going to be tough to defend. So that's why I do believe that the defensive system of the Springboks will have to be on point. But like I mentioned earlier as well, honestly, Let's take a step back away from being South African or South African Union. This will potentially probably be one of the greatest finals we've seen in a very long time in the history of world rugby. So I'm very excited as a coach and as a supporter of rugby. I'm super excited for it. It's brilliant to get your insight on those other elements as well, but most importantly, the best part of rugby, the scrum. Um, one yeah. one quick one before you go. This is going to be Jacques Naba's last test obviously in charge of the spring box before he goes over to Leinster and you were there weren't you the free state cheaters when he was physio and then SNC coach am I right yeah 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 he was at the Cats back in the day and then Brazzy was there as well afterwards to give us an insight into what they're both like you said you read his book but oh. but Jacques Nienaber as well yeah man I, I've known Jacques I was a youngster you know in Bloemfontein back in the day playing for cheaters and He's always had an unbelievable, you know, we used to enjoy chatting to him, you know, we used to be in Johannesburg, go to his room, like obviously for physio treatment, then we'll end up talking about rugby and I knew this guy was unbelievable and then he transitioned into SNC coach and, you know, just his, his pathways, I believe, and I've been fortunate to work with Jacques, we've worked with Jacques in 2011 and Rassi with the World Cup and you could just see that these guys are on another level, the way they look at the game, the way they analyse the game, like, they think of shit you never think about. It's like just the way they perceive things, like every single thing. That, like we always say, the keys in the preparation, these guys are prepared. All right. And I, just from a rugby fan's point of view, I, I think for the rest of them, they're like, they poker players. <laughs> you know, they putting out a certain ad. The case in <laughs> point for me is. The long kicking game of France and South Africa decide predetermined we're going to take a free kick in our 22. Yeah. 
and then they win the penalty from the scrum. We spoke up, but like, who does that? Who has the foresight to analyze statistically where France unpick teams and think, well, here's a way we can do it. We'll just force them to scrum. We're not going to run back into blitz defense. Like, it's genius. So it's incredible. You've rubbed shoulders with them and you've seen that genius at work for a long period of time way back then. Like, but what are they like as people? As well, that's another bit I love. Uh, there's obviously the analytical type, the personality with rugby, but as as blokes, what are they like as well? No, unbelievable. I remember back in the day when Rassi actually started his coaching career. I was actually at the Cheetahs when he started. That's where you picked up. This guy sees the game differently. You know, we all know his story. He had his own computer and set up, analyzing games, giving feedback. You know, but as human beings, unbelievable. We're always about, how can I say, um, including everybody, you know? Rassi back then, I was a youngster when I watched him play for South Africa and eventually to play with him a year and then to be coached with him was unbelievable. But just on a, as a human being, always been humble. It's always what's best for the players, what he could put into place, even helping us back in the day, you know, with, uh, with the box in 2011. The goal was really to empower us to have a better defensive system in that World Cup. But And we had obviously the opportunity because uh, we had a training camp while the other boys were playing Tri-Nations. So we were off in a little resort in the middle of nowhere. So we always had a few cheeky beers together, but unbelievable human beings. And, um, you know, just crossing paths with them back in the day when they were at Munster. I haven't seen them in years. And you're like, we just hugged each other and great. So it's just unbelievable. I haven't seen them in a while, but the utmost respect uh, for Jacques and Rassi, you know, um, they've done a lot for South African rugby. A lot of people can can criticize some of the stuff that Rassi is doing, but we have seen a massive change in uh, South African rugby, but also just the belief system. If you look at uh, seeing the boys dancing and being able to express themselves in their culture, that's a massive step forward because in the past, that's not something you would have seen in South African rugby. You know, where players can be comfortable in who they are, express their culture and and respecting each other at the same time. And that's massive. He managed to bring, because that's what a lot of people don't get. In South Africa, in that Springbok team, you have so many cultures. So we talk about creating a collective culture. Imagine you're from England, you're English. <laughs> All right, South Africa, you got Kosa, you got Zulu, you got Afrikaans, you got English. And there's so many different things. And uh, you can clearly see they've created some, they've aligned everybody. Everybody's bought in. I'm here to play a specific role. The jersey comes first, and I need to leave it in a better state. So that's great to see. Enjoy the brandy and coke on Saturday night. I hope it goes well when you eventually get to turn your attention to that game. <laughs> and also, good luck in the top 14 on Sunday as well. Cast, isn't it? No, thanks, guys. And no, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be back on. Great to have a, a chat. And um, you know, just keep on doing what you guys are doing. You know, like I always say in the past, I love these podcasts. So I'm on my road between La Rochelle and Toulouse. Just wish you guys would make a bigger effort in getting more episodes out. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll, we'll, wrap we'll, have more. we'll wrap it up. <laughs> we look forward to watching the Scrum Penalties on Sunday against Cast. No, awesome stuff. You guys enjoy it and uh, have an awesome weekend. And to everybody listening, you know, just uh, enjoy the, the last bit of the World Cup and, uh, you know, just do whatever you can do just to enjoy every single moment. That's uh, that's the key. Cheers, Gethry. Nice one. And watch the Cheers, team, team when the World Cup's has Watch some real rugby when the World Cup's finished as yeah, well. Yeah, hey, I'll see you hey. some real rugby top 14. Let's it's go. It's time nicely. So once you get rid of this rubbish World Cup, top 14 is back on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Gethry. Cheers, guys.
Scrums, Johnny. Absolutely love it. This is right in your wheelhouse and even more in Girthrow's wheelhouse. Mate, yeah. Do you know what I love? It's just the passion. So when yeah. you get them started, and obviously there's questions there that we want to ask because, but when you start asking a prop, and now a scrum coach in France about prop questions, he is a pig in shit. And absolutely <laughs> quite rightly so. It's so good to hear and to listen to what he's got to say and pick it apart because it's so insightful. It's not often you get somebody with that much detail and that much experience to come on. So he's a top man. Um, great to have him on. And who knows, they'll probably be absolutely crucial this weekend at the World Cup and then also top 14 that's starting back up. Um, so yeah, great to have him on. We laugh, but that is the story. It was the story at the weekend. So even if you're not a prop or a scrum coach, you want that insight on today of all days or this week ahead of the final with what went on in the semi-final because it was the story and I think he he covered everything there. Everything. It's one of the like he mentioned, it's gladiatorial, it's confrontational, it's one of the biggest areas of our game. Um and that's why those boys like we joked about it, but that's why those boys are some of the biggest paid players in our game because they mm. offer platform, they offer stability, they offer pressure. And that's what we saw at the weekend. South Africa, their bench was stronger and they buckled England and that won them a spot at the final of the World Cup. So no, it was great to have him on. Always super knowledgeable and incredibly enthusiastic. And he's just a good dude. So great to have him on. Absolutely. And World Rugby, we know you're listening. Do not depower the scrum. Leave it as it is. Hell no. <laughs> uh, Girthrow, give us his opinion on where the final might be won and lost. What do you reckon, Johnny? Give us yours. I thought, Paul, I was looking through, as he was talking, I'm not sure if you noticed, I was cheekily checking the weather forecast in Paris, and it says it's going to be dry, which will be great for the spectacle. Um, Friday night's meant to be wet. Saturday is meant to be dry. So I'm hoping we get to see a little bit more rugby. Let's be honest, the England-South Africa game didn't get above three phases. Jesse Creel touched the ball for the first time in the 78th minute and knocked it on. There was no game. There was no rugby. It was just the lowest level of rugby. It was passion. It was heart. It was kick chase. It was discipline. And that was it. Set piece. So I'm hoping this weekend we see a little bit more from both sides. Um, But both sides have shown throughout the competition and throughout the best 20, 30 years, they can both play a bit, can't they? So I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm hoping it's a little more, there's a little bit more flow to it. But to be honest, I can't pick them apart. I mean, New Zealand were absolutely picked apart. It was 35-5 or something at Twickenham. I can't remember the score exactly, yeah. but humiliated pre-tournament. South Africa since then, fits and starts, but still looking strong. New Zealand seemed to find another gear internally much better. What a story it'd be for Ian Foster as well to his last mm. game in charge, go out high and win a championship. But there's not too much to pick between them. I mean, this game is played 10 times. They probably win five each. I'm just looking forward to watch. There's no point asking me for winner, mate, because sitting on the fence. I was going to say. Well, this is the thing. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a horse in the race. I've got a couple of mates no. that are playing for each side. I'm looking forward to watching. This is the thing. As a neutral, and this is the beauty of calling it. So, being in the stadium, I'll be commentating the third, fourth place playoff and the final. I just hope we saw such dramatic, compelling rugby in the quarters. I just hope that we see something close to that. The chance of us getting that again. Is very slim, but something close to that. A big test match to finish, a spectacle, and then a magical moment for a winner at the end. Whether that's South Africa or New Zealand, it, it really doesn't matter to me. But I just hope for everyone watching in, tuning in, this has been the most watched Rugby World Cup in the history of our sport. New people have come to the game. There's great things being done. So I just hope for everyone looking in that they're inspired. They see an awesome game of rugby and it makes them want to pick up a ball. Yeah, and it will help if it is dry, as you mentioned. And there's no doubt as well that if it's dry, 
that suits New Zealand more. Not that South Africa don't want to play, but if it was reduced to the type of game that a wet weather game can be, the box are more suited to that, right? Yeah, I think. Oh, I mean, you say that, but I'm completely England completely outplayed them at mm. set piece, kick chase, defense, collisions, like fundamental, simplistic test test match rugby in wet weather for 75 minutes. So I don't really know. I mean, I, the one thing I would say is that even in the opening game against France, New Zealand really struggled to get out of their 22 with Richie Moonga at 10. So they yeah. flicked up their kicking game a little game with Aaron Smith, with Bowden Barrett, and made a few changes. But it looks like they've adapted as well. So they find different solutions throughout the course of the tournament. So I don't know. And I think if New Zealand had played in that game in those conditions, you would have seen them still try to play, which might yeah. sound weird, but you'd still see them try to back their skill set and, and throw something together in multi-phase. Whereas England and South Africa didn't want to do anything. It was complete opposite low-risk rugby. So I don't know. It's contrasting styles. It's the traditional power, brute force, kicking style that we're used to seeing from South Africa. And then there's a bit more flair, a bit more nuance, a bit more skill maybe to the game in a different way from New Zealand. So a clash of styles. But again, who's going to win on that one day of the weekend, mate? I've got no idea. Now, we're not going to talk too much about this, but obviously England, Argentina, there are players on both sides that might be playing their last game if they're selected, or maybe the coaches will rotate because essentially, Johnny, it's a game no one cares about, right? It's weird. I actually spoke to Justin Marshall. I was doing bits with Justin Marshall yesterday, the all, former All-Black scrum half who he's played at Montpellier. Completely forgot about that as well. He's played in two of these games and he's like, we went on, it was Baba's week. Mm. which went on the piss all week. We made memories. We didn't care. We just enjoyed it. I'm not quite sure it's going to be that extent under Borthwick and the English regime, but you just hope a little part of them somewhere. Czech has been like, boys, this is the last time, you know, if it's Augustin Creevy, mm. um, Nico Sanchez on their yeah. side, one M off. This is their last chance to be together as a group and to enjoy this time. So I hope he's been like, get your families involved two or three days, just get together and have fun. And then we'll team run and we'll play and we'll see what happens. I hope as well, it's the same for England. Like I know a few of the English boys were out with the South African boys after the game, you know, able to relax. But I hope that again, Owen Farrell, Courtney Laws, Dan Cole, Joe Marler, all of these guys have been given two or three days to just enjoy it and then enjoy the game. That's it. There's no pressure on it. So I'll be really interested to see how England play as well. I hope we see them loosen up a little bit and they try and fire. Um, and that these boys, it'd be very easy as well to like throw Marcus Smith in or make changes, but I hope the people that are going to be playing their last games who have been stalwarts for their countries for the best part of 10 years get that chance to go out high. This is their last cap. They know it, just to go and enjoy the experience. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm looking forward to seeing some decent scenes for these guys with their families after the game as well. But I wouldn't read too much into the prep, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I hope they just get given a good week by their coaches and they get to enjoy their last weeks of being an international rugby player. We have rightly spent ages talking about scrums, so we're not going to talk too much about this. It's in the future and in the distance, but big yep. news, the new Nations Championship has been passed. It's been voted on, I think, 41 out of 51 votes, so yep. they needed 39, I think, so passed by a couple of votes. It's through. It's controversial in some ways. The so-called Tier 2 Nations uh, will not be happy because promotion and relegation isn't coming in until 
2030. There are yep. good points as well. We're promised that there are going to be more games between tier two nations and the top nations. Yep. And the headline, whether it's completely true or not, but the headline is the global calendar is finally sorted, right, Johnny? Finally sorted. Uh, and you're right, mate. Like uh, Having been part of those competitions, the November tests and the July internationals, there was never something tangible. There was never something competitive to play for. And everyone, and I mean everyone, has been crying out for relegation, promotion, a meritocracy. That's what everybody wants. We knew that we were never going to bust six nations wide open because it'd be the turkeys voting for Christmas and you're not going to bust open the rugby champion. So it was just never going to happen. So this is as good as it gets, right? This is the competition that you said that we're going to have two tiers. There's going to be a mechanism, relegation, promotion. I think everyone agrees the disappointing part, if you're a Portugal or a Spain or a Georgia or whoever it is, it's not going to be imminent. The only cycle that we're going to see promotion is 2030. So until then, it's ring-fenced. But we know that coming down the line, there is the competition and the vehicle that everyone wants and everyone's been crying for. I know everyone will want it now, but this is what we've got. So it's going to happen. That's the positive. And that is what we want to see. We want to see, again, in between World Cups, you want to see Namibia's, Portugal's, Fiji's having more time and more competitive games against better opposition. That is what this competition offers. So that is positive. That is good. The only thing we would have wished for would have been maybe that 2030 deadline being brought a little bit further forward. By a little bit, <laughs> I mean this year. Well, it isn't coming in until 2026 anyway. The fact that it's owned by Six Nations and Sanzar might mean there's more turkeys voting for Christmas elements in the future. Who knows? But we'll leave that till then. But there's other things. You know, there's an expanded six-team Pacific Nations Cup. Uh, and, That's you know, awesome. That, that doesn't happen all the time. Like they, they, sometimes it's three teams, sometimes it doesn't happen. So that's a good element as well. 2014 World Cup, Johnny. We've kind of spoken about this before, but that that depends on how you dice it up, I guess. But that could also be a good thing. So, mate, the Pacific Nations Cup, I'm really looking forward to. The first, first session of that is going to be next year. So you've got Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, Japan, America, Canada. It's going to be flipped between Japan and USA the first two cycles and then moved around different locations so the fact that they're taking top level rugby on the road giving nations a chance to have big gate receipts commercialize it boost their coffers have regular test matches against top class opposition in a top competition that they run is great i absolutely love that as well crying out for it and i think that's wonderful news 24 teams again that means you get the likes of the countries that have just missed out on this world cup so america canada spain who missed out because of qualification issues and admin they come into the next edition which means hopefully the game is taken more consistently to newer parts of the world or new rugby territories to try and develop them and get them involved the challenge is with these different competitions how competitive are these games in these pools of four that we're going to have in the next cycle be i think that's that one's everyone's little disappointment from this um world cup was you know when namibia are taking 90 points well, what games have they had in between to improve and get better in between World Cups? Very little. Well, now we've got a mechanism in place so that come four years in Australia, they're better placed. They have had game time. They've played against more robust opposition and therefore the game should be closer. Um, so that is the hope. And for me, going from 20 to 24 teams, you speak to somebody like Jean de Villiers, again, caught up with him a couple of weeks ago. He was like, mate, take it back to 16 teams. He wants it to stay completely tight the top level possible, whereas I was arguing, look, we're trying to develop our game. We need to throw the net as far as we can, get into new networks, into new markets, and grow our sport. So that is what moving to 24 teams gives us. So 
goes 24. There'll be a round of 16 probably after the pool phases, and then we head into our quarters. So, mate, I'm excited for it. It's positive change. It's growing the game, and I'm all for it. And one element of it all, the global calendar and the Nations Championship coming in, is that there'll be a week less for the Six Nations, which is big. Five games in six weeks then that'll be. So even more brutal. It's going to be brutal, but then you've got competitions like the top 14 who've been crying out for this for years and that they're having les doublons, so the double weekends where they've got top 14 games and Six Nations games. So they're losing players, losing gate because the top players are away at Six Nations. So it is tough. You have one break week in the middle of it, but that is it. It's going to be more condensed. So for fans, probably more exciting as well. You know more what's going on. You're more aware. And for the players, it is that group you're in, you attack that competition, then you're out, you get the rest period, and then you're back with your club. So probably for the wider rugby public, makes it easier to understand. These things are broken up into chunks and competitions now that people can get behind. There's a winner, there's promotion relegation, there's more drama, and therefore it's more compelling. So, mate, I can't wait for it to start. It's going to be absolutely epic. You teed it up there. The top 14 is back this weekend. All seven games on Sunday, the day after the World yep. Cup final. So any World Cup hangover, gone, go watch the top 14. What are the big ones, Johnny? Oh, mate, there are tons. And that's the thing. I can't. And again, the beauty of the top 14, living in France with Canal Plus, I know everyone else in the English world, you can get it on Viaplay if you're back in the UK and get it on Flow Sports. There's loads of different ways to to get your games but in Canal Plus like everything is just churned out on that Sunday on the Wednesday you get the multiplex you get to watch every single game it's interesting as well we can talk about where teams are situated but like Bayonne against Stade Francais Bayonne who were so good last year now down the bottom end of the table but they'll want to kick off strongly again at home Montpellier, Racing, La Rochelle just had G on the podcast they're at home to cast that's a big game Toulouse against Bordeaux we've seen their big dogs as well back in training this weekend uh, sorry this week um, after the French side gone out. So how many of them are going to be involved? Who's coming back in? We can't wait to see the teams that will be announced probably towards the tail end of this week. So Toulouse-Bordeaux is a massive one as well. But, mate, all of them. Oyonnax going to Toulon, uh, Lyon-Clermont, Derby as well. Some absolutely massive games. So Sunday, you're going to be hungover after, I don't know, South Africa or New Zealand winning the World Cup. There's one way to spend your Sunday this weekend is watching the top 14, getting back into the action and getting back into the top 14. Thanks, Johnny. We look forward to chatting more about that next week. And a massive thanks to Gertrude Seenkamp for joining us and filling us in on all things scrums as well and everything else. And a big thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review if you can, check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. Cheers, mate. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Acast anbefaler.
Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.